This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a joy to be in worship with you this morning, and I wanted to let you know, again, if you haven't heard, we will have a service next uh, week uh, on Christmas Day, much to the consternation of most of the kids, in the, in the, <laughs> including my own, uh, but we will start at 11, and we'll have a very short service, but I do hope that you can join us. We'll have another baptism on Christmas, uh, Christmas morning, so it'll be a really sweet and special time. Uh, It's been a sweet, special service uh, this morning as well, very busy service, a couple of added components, so uh, you get the benefit of having a very short sermon. Um, We're going to look at just uh, three words uh, that Stephanie read, God with us, the idea of Emmanuel. So most of us don't just flip channels on the TV anymore. We go to our TV sets with a purpose. We're going to watch a certain thing, at least that's how I approach it. But I remember growing up and We had uh, 32 channels. We had 2 through 34. I guess that's 33. But you would start and you'd just flip because there was no internet. You didn't know what was on. There was, if you had a TV guide, maybe. But you would spend a great deal of time just flipping channels. And then when you get to 34, it would roll back over, back to 2, and you'd start over until you found something that you wanted to watch. In Christmas time, you could almost always count on one of four or five movies being on at generally any time. You've got a Christmas story, you've got Miracle on 34th Street, you've got It's a Wonderful Life, uh, and you've got the Charlie Brown Christmas special, which was one of my favorites, and then also Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the stop-motion one from the 60s. It looks so dated now, but it's still, they still show it. Now, I haven't seen it in forever, but so I could be off on a few of the details, but the way I'm remembering it really works for my sermon illustration. So I'm going to go with that, and I didn't, I didn't research this again on Wikipedia. But Rudolph is a reindeer who's tormented by his peers as well as his dad, Donner, who wants to affix this cover over his nose because he's embarrassed about his son. But Rudolph meets Hermie, who's an elf who quits his job so he can be a dentist, and is in a similar predicament. He's facing problems uh, with the other elves. And they run away together, and they meet 
Yukon. And Yukon, of course, is Burl Ives, and he's looking for silver and gold. Richard got to sing, so I wanted to as well. And uh, Yukon and Rudolph and Hermie are attacked by the Bumble. You can see that this was written by committee. There's just too many parts going on in here. But what I love about this story, if not the part, is them ending up on the island of misfit toys. And they find themselves on this island full of toys that nobody wants. A birdfish who's a toy bird who swims instead of flies. There's a cowboy who rides an ostrich. A train with square wheels on the caboose. And a squirt gun that shoots jelly. And then there's Rudolph with his glowing red nose, himself a misfit, rejected by his peers and his dad. And he sets out to persuade Santa to find homes for these toys that no one wants. He's a very unlikely hero. And that's sort of the story of Christmas, because it's hard to imagine a more unlikely hero than Jesus, than a baby in a manger. Can you imagine a stranger way for God to enter into the world, to bring salvation through a vulnerable baby? It's really not the story that you would write if you were trying to win converts and build a movement. Who would want to follow this kind of story? Jesus is the ultimate misfit, but He is said also to be the Messiah, the coming one, the long-awaited one. It's almost if as if God is intentionally making it difficult to believe this story. It's difficult for the secular of His day, just like it is today, to believe. But maybe counterintuitively, it's more difficult for the religious people that were waiting on Messiah, that were looking out for Him. In Matthew 1, which we didn't read the first part, uh, there's a long genealogy, and these genealogies were to substantiate the king's authority, and the lineage of the king, the power. Look at his family tree. Look how impressive. But the genealogy that we get in Matthew 1 is anything but impressive. It's not an admirable group of people. Yes, there were some kings, but there were some very conspicuous sinners, very conspicuous big-time moral failures. And there were women in this king's list. And Jesus is born to this young, unmarried girl, very young. It's the age that we would refer to as almost a child. And she's not married, and she's pregnant. This would have been a spectacle, of course. And there are indications in the Gospels that Jesus was chastised for being born to an unwed mother. And as Richard prayed, he's born in Nazareth. A very unimpressive backwater town. He's a carpenter. He works in the family business as an artisan. And Jesus, this name, it's very common, one of the most common names. It means Yahweh is salvation or the Lord saves. But he, Jesus of Nazareth, claims to be something that none of these other Jesuses could claim. He claims to be the Messiah. In fact, more than that, God in human form, that He is God with us. And of course, this is total blasphemy to the Hebrew worldview. God is with us in symbols and signs, but not in human form. 
But when he is asked and marked, Mark, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus says, I am. I am the Son of the Blessed One. I am Messiah. I am God incarnate, God with us. You see, he not only works miracles, but he claims to be the bridge between God and humanity. He claims to be God in person. Now, he could be lying. He could be just pulling the wool over our eyes and trying to create a movement and trying to create acclaim and fame for himself. He could be lying. It could be a ruse. But all of his followers, save one, and even his family, the people that are most difficult to convince, (laughs) I'm the Messiah, mom and dad, the people most difficult to convince go to their graves claiming that he is exactly who he claimed to be. Or it could be that all of these people are completely delusional, and thus they should be pitied, and we should be pitied. But the religious leaders took him very seriously. They didn't cast him off. They didn't say, oh, these people are delusional. We should just ignore them. They, were, they took him very seriously, enough to put him to death. He could be lying. He could be delusional, or he could be exactly who he claims to be. His life his teaching, his death, they don't allow us to patronize him simply as a great moral example or a teacher. Because if he's lying, if he's delusional, he's not a great teacher or a moral example that any of us should follow. We can dismiss him, we can pity him, and thus pity ourselves, or we can follow him, and we can acknowledge that he is, in fact, God with us. Emmanuel. But he's also with us. Against everything the religious world of his day would expect, but also against everything that our intellectual and our moral pretensions would want, Jesus comes in the form of a child. Jesus comes to be with us. In a sense, the founder of one of the world's greatest religions pushes back against everything that our religious instincts would expect. Because if we're going to find ultimate reality, if we're going to encounter God, we want it to be at the conclusion of some great journey, some great quest, some intellectual search, and now we found it. We figured it out, the key to the universe. And so we pat ourselves on the back that we get to disclose God by our moral achievements, by our mastery of information. We are the ones who call forth God's revelation. But in Christianity, in the person of Jesus, it's exactly the opposite. We don't get to God by our way, but He gets to us by His way. And His way is the most modest, the most simple, the most humble, the most unpretentious way in order to shadow all of our pretentiousness and all of our pride, because He comes not to the wise, not to the educated, not to the moral elite, but He comes to people, His own people, that have continually for hundreds of years walked away from Him and have forgotten their calling as God's people and are no longer waiting with anticipation for the Messiah. And He comes, and in that midst, He doesn't throw down the gauntlet and say, now you're going to have to repay all of those years of walking away. 
Now you're going to have to really work and earn my favor. But he comes among us, and he approaches us not on our terms, but on his terms. And what are his terms? His terms are unmerited favor. His terms are unending graciousness. The Bible tells us continually throughout the Old Testament that you cannot approach that which is holy. If you come to the mountain of the Lord and you put your hand upon it, you die. If you pick up the Ark of the Covenant when it falls into the mud, you die. You cannot approach what is holy. But in Jesus, that which is most holy has approached us tenderly in the person of a child, vulnerable. Do you see how the tables are turned? It is now God who is vulnerable, and we get to be embraced by that which is holy. You don't get to God by your efforts, but by His. And in His efforts, God is with us. And who is us? Well, to the Hebrew mind, it would be all of the religious and ethnic Jews. That's who God would come to. But the very next chapter, in chapter 2 of Matthew, we see pagans coming to Jesus, astrologers nonetheless. And we see they're coming most likely from Persia, which is one of the nations that enslaved God's people, enslaved the religious people. And it's these people who see, these people who get it. Those we least expect to oppose Him seek His death, and those we most expect that would embrace Him reject Him, or those we least expect to honor Him worship Him. Now, I won't read it because we studied this last year, almost to the day, in our look at our study of the book of Matthew. But in that genealogy, it's so interesting to see who are the forerunners of Jesus. If you read this genealogy that Matthew gives us, the part of the Bible that we normally skip because we don't understand what's going on here, why are these lists of begats and all of these names? But it's so important. You have in this list Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon, all of the usual suspects, right? But then there are some people that have no business whatsoever being in a king's list, one, but in the list of the Messiah, certainly not. Tamar, Rahab, and Uriah's wife. Why shouldn't they be there? Well, first of all, they're women, and you don't put women in a king's list. It would be inappropriate. And if he was going to choose women, why not Sarah? Why not Rachel? Why not Rebecca, the matriarchs of Israel, the believers? There's a great set of women to choose from. But Matthew chooses Tamar, who disguises herself as a prostitute to get pregnant by Judah. And he chooses Rahab, who is a prostitute and most likely runs a brothel. And he chooses Uriah's wife, which is who? Bathsheba. And of course, Bathsheba is a victim in the story, but in terms of Israel's mindset, is a notorious sinner because David slept with her, and that began the slow decline of the kingdom of Israel. And she is redeemed and put in the king list, put in Jesus' lineage. This is Jesus' family. This is the us of God with us. And I guess the question is, are you comforted by that? 
Are you comforted that it's not the moral heavyweights that make it into the list, but it's those who are morally bankrupt? It's the notorious sinners that make up Jesus' family tree. Are these the kind of people that you expect to be included in Jesus' family? And more than that, to be gathered around Him in worship? If so, then Advent says, not just God with us, but God with you. Everyone here, including myself, has something to hide, and we do a lot of hard work hiding it. Everyone here, in some way, is a misfit toy. Many of us have had parents that have tried to cover something about us that they're embarrassed about, and it's left scars in our lives. Everyone is a misfit toy. The question is, this Christmas, will you admit that? Will you get comfortable with that? Because God, you see, doesn't come to the most beautiful. He doesn't come to those of us because we have a good return on His investment. But it's because He enjoys finding homes for misfits. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we pray that You would help us to see ourselves as misfits as we spend so much time running around protecting our ego, protecting our image. As we spend time, even during this season, spending too much, buying too much because of what it says about us and our capabilities to provide for our children and to give them a great Christmas, all the while we're stroking our ego. Lord, I pray that you would help us to own up to our brokenness, help us to own up to our need of you, help us to own up that we are misfit toys. But Lord, would you rescue us from that island of misfit toys, and would you take us home? And we pray that for everyone here in this room, in Jesus' name, amen.